0: From Hollywood, I'm Martin Grove, welcoming you to our Screen Dollars podcast, Box Office Autopsy. Right now, we'll look at the movie marketplace and analyze how things are going and where they're going sharing some opinions from my perspective after decades of talking about Hollywood on CNN Entertainment Tonight and as a Hollywood Reporter columnist. train pulled into cinema stations everywhere, ending the summer movie season five weeks before Labor Day. We knew from the tracking not to expect a super-speed train ride, but nonetheless it looks good compared to what we'll likely be seeing from the string of low-profile horror films taking over theaters for the next nine weeks. On today's Box Office Autopsy, we'll check out the openings of Train starring Brad Pitt and Easter Sunday starring stand-up comic Joe Coy. Then we'll take a close look at some of the films coming our way through mid-October that aren't expected to keep the box office sizzling. And later, in our Oscar Outlook Spotlight, we'll talk about the 60th annual New York Film Festival, and its opening night presentation, Noah Baumbach's drama, White Noise, and its centerpiece selection, Laura Poitras's documentary, All the Beauty and the Bloodshed. Let's get started with Sony's R-rated action thriller, Bullet Train, which reportedly cost $86 million to produce. Exhibitors were projecting a $32 to 35 million opening while Hollywood handicappers were thinking 25 to 35 with 30 million as the likely sweet spot. As it turned out, they were right. $30.1 million worth of train tickets were sold at 4,357 theaters. Internationally, train did $32.4 million in 57 markets, bringing its global coom to $62.5 million. Critics on Rotten Tomatoes are a dismal 54%, but action films aren't driven by reviews audiences like it more at 78%, but that's not really enough to translate into great word of mouth. And it doesn't help that it's an original action film, not a new brand name franchise episode. What Train does have going for it is Brad Pitt, plus director David Leach, who directed Deadpool 2. TRAIN'S ARRIVAL IN FIRST PLACE SENT WARNER BROTHERS AND DC ENTERTAINMENT'S ANIMATED ACTION ADVENTURE D.C. LEAGUE OF SUPER PETS TO SECOND PLACE WITH 11.2 MILLION AT 4,332 THEATERS, FALLING 51% FROM LAST WEEKEND. IT'S DONE 45.1 MILLION DOMESTIC. Universal Amblin and DreamWorks PG thirteen comedy Easter Sunday was the weekend's only other wide opening and finished eighth with just five point three million at three thousand one hundred seventy five theaters. Exhibs were predicting eight to ten million. Media pundits started out with ten to twelve million, but cut that back late in the week to under ten. Good move. Critics hate it with 45% on Rotten Tomatoes. Audiences are higher at 70%, but that's not going to do much for word of mouth. The only good news is that it reportedly cost just $17 million to produce. Here's a quick scene from Easter Sunday that just might brighten your day with a few laughs. License and registration. Joe? <laughs> Joe. Vanessa. Yeah. Wow. And you're a cop now? Yeah. Have been for the last ten years. You would have known that if you wouldn't have ghosted me the way you did. Wow. <laughs> yeah. And this your dad. Yeah. You know, me and your daddy, we used to be real intimate back in the day. Oh really? Yeah, I could have been your mama. But clearly I'm not. I'm not. Yeah. Joe Valencia, Yeah, I can't believe it, in a Subaru yeah. at that. What, what happened? You just gave up, huh? Oh. You know, when I saw this Subaru, I was thinking to myself, I got to be two ladies in a labradoodle. But nope, it's you, Joe. Yeah, it's me. It's you, Joe. It's me, Vanessa. Get the hell out the car. Looking ahead, those dark clouds on the horizon are heading for theaters everywhere as our sizzling summer comes to an abrupt and very premature end. These studios folded their tentpoles and put them in cold storage until mid-October, leaving just a stream of original horror thrillers, a few action films, and some re-releases for exhibitors to play over the next nine weeks. This will be the worst shape exhibitions been in since the darkest pandemic days, and it follows record-setting July ticket sales according to the latest research from London's Gower Street Analytics. July hit a new peak in global box office grosses since the pandemic began, according to Gower. The global box office was about $3.37 billion in July, smashing last October's pandemic-era monthly record of $3.06 billion. July's top global titles per Gower were Universal and Illumination Entertainment's Animated Family Adventure Minions The Rise of Gru, with $705 million for the month, and Disney and Marvel's superhero Epic Thor Love and Thunder, with $662.5 million. There also was box office energy from Holdovers, like Paramount and Skydance Media's Top Gun Maverick, starring Tom Cruise, which has grossed over $1.32 billion worldwide, adding about $275 million in July. As for July's domestic market, Gower puts that at about $1.13 billion, a one-month high going back to December 2019, July also witnessed ticket sales at their closest level to the pre-pandemic average, with just an 8% decline from July's average for 2017 through 2019. By the end of July, the domestic market cum was $4.86 billion, beating $4.49 billion for the full pandemic year 2021. After the product slowdown kicks in next week, August's totals won't be anything like July's. Here's a quick look at what to expect. Next weekend brings Lionsgate's PG-13 original thriller, Fall, where two girls climb 2,000 feet to the top of a remote, abandoned radio tower where they're stranded with No Way Down. Its average first-choice tracking is an unencouraging four points below norm. Universal's R-rated horror adventure Beast, starring Idris Elba, opens August 19th. Its average first-choice tracking is equal to the norm, but its scores are way too low to get excited about. The early critic score on Rotten Tomatoes is a dismal 29%. Here's producer Will Packer talking about Beast, helping you decide if you want to see it or skip it. When you separate those prides, you have these alpha males that otherwise would be part of a group. The ecosystem is intact. The, the female lions, lionesses go out and hunt. The male lions protect the pride. They stay together intact. When you separate them out, you create these rogue lions. And this is an examination of what happens when a rogue lion discovers who the real enemy is. And the real enemy is man. Sony and Screen Gems' original horror thriller, The Invitation, hits theaters August 26th. Its average first choice tracking is one point below norm, Only die-hard horror fans are likely to RSVP at the box office. Labor Day weekend isn't usually a great movie-going holiday, as it's the last gasp of summer and people would rather be at the beach if the weather permits. There aren't any new wide openings on deck, but Sony and Marvel are re-releasing last December's mega-blockbuster Spider-Man No Way Home September 2nd in a special The More Fun Stuff edition featuring additional footage and extended action scenes. This Spidey episode is the third highest-grossing domestic movie ever with $804.8 million dollars and it's the sixth highest grossing film globally with just over $1.9 billion. This reissue could put it in the worldwide $2 billion-plus club. Let's do some time traveling back to last December's premiere with director John Watts on the red carpet. Peter Parker's out there. Everyone knows his identity. It's been revealed that Spider-Man is in fact a soon-to-be senior at Midtown High School, and so all of his plans for the future have suddenly been jeopardized by that. And this is a movie about him trying to deal with that and confronting his future uh, and making some tough choices along the way. Everyone's been trapped at home for such a long time. I think people are ready to get out, and I hope this is the movie that everyone wants to get out and go see together. For moviegoers who really want some time traveling, Universal and Amblin Entertainment are doing a Labor Day reissue of Steven Spielberg's 1975 PG adventure thriller, Jaws, the original summer blockbuster movie. Spidey and Spielberg fans will be heading to these reissues, but whether a broader audience will pay to revisit either one remains to be seen. After this, there are five more weeks of low-profile openings to get through. The box office should finally come back to life October 14th, with Halloween ends from Universal Blumhouse and Miramax starring Jamie Lee Curtis playing Laurie Strode for the sixth time. Just listening to the trailer may put this one on your must-see list. Come on, let's go. Come and get me, motherfucker. The franchise's previous episode, Halloween Kills, opened last October 15th to $49.4 million. It did 92 million domestic and 131.6 million worldwide. Impressive numbers for those darker pandemic days. Halloween ends should pack a good box office punch, as it's arriving much later in the pandemic when moviegoers have shown they're happy to be back in cinemas. Right now it's time for our Oscar Outlook focus on the latest award season action. The New York Film Festival was in the news this week. It may not have Venice's red carpet glitz, but it makes up for that by spotlighting awards hopefuls in the world's media capital. As the 60th annual edition gears up to run from September 30th through October 16th, it's giving Oscar pundits something to talk about. By choosing Noah Baumbach's White Noise for opening night, it shows that the Netflix drama, which will also kick off the 79th Venice Film Festival, August 31st, is an Oscar Best Picture frontrunner. Launching two prime festivals also puts it, sight unseen, on track for 2023 nominations for directing lead actor Adam Driver and lead actress Greta Gerwig. A festival spotlight means even more to documentaries, which always need all the help they can get since they are usually lower-profile films than their best-picture cousins. So New York's choice of participant and praxis films All the Beauty and the Bloodshed as its centerpiece presentation is a major boost to the Laura Poitras docu about photographer Nan Golden and the demise of the Sackler Pharmaceutical Dynasty. When ALL screens October 7th at Lincoln Center's Alice Tully Hall, it will have already world premiered at Venice. Between its New York and Venice media coverage, ALL should get a big boost for Academy documentary consideration. It should help that in 2015, Poitras won Oscar's best docu-feature for Citizen Four from Participant Praxis and HBO about ex and NSA intelligence officer Edward Snowden. The New York Film Festival ended the week by announcing the premiere of Focus Features drama Armageddon Time as a special 60th anniversary main slate selection celebrating the festival's long history. Armageddon is written, directed, and co-produced by James Gray, whose credits include 2019's Ad Astra and Two Lovers in 2008. Starring are Jessica Chastain, Anne Hathaway, and Anthony Hopkins. After opening in limited release, it will expand November 4th and go wider November 11th, which should make the most of its festival media exposure. And that's a wrap for today's podcast. Next week on Box Office Autopsy, we'll check out the opening of Lionsgate's Fall, and we'll see how Bullet Train holds up. We'll also keep our Oscar Outlook spotlight on the latest awards developments. Please join us again then, and thanks very much for listening. Time now for our film flashback look at what was happening in Hollywood right around now, way back then. Let's set today's time travel dial for August 11th, 1964. The Beatles' first movie, A Hard Day's Night, paved the way for their next film, Help, which opened a year later to the day. Night which hit New York cinemas August 11th, 1964 has done about 11 million dollars worldwide since then. Help arrived in New York the next August 11th and has done over 12 million globally. Both films were distributed by United Artists and directed by Richard Lester. The Beatles wanted to work with Lester because of his 1959 short, The Running, Jumping, and Standing Still film, co-directed with Peter Sellers. Knight's working title was first The Beatles, and then Beatlemania, It famously was changed when Ringo Starr, exhausted from filming, said he was resting on a hard day's night. John Lennon shared that with producer Walter Shenson, who pitched it as the new title to UA, which didn't like it. At Shenson's suggestion, UA bounced it off some young staffers and then changed its mind. John with Paul McCartney began work on the title song that night along with George Harrison and Ringo and played it the next morning for Shenson. UA was most excited about a loophole it had found in the Beatles' US contract with Capitol Records which didn't cover movie scores, meaning that UA could release a night soundtrack album. On that album, the Beatles performed eight songs, and there were also four instrumental tracks from the score, arranged by George Martin. It quickly became a number one LP. Years later, UA got out of the record business and sold its catalog to Capitol, which then reissued Knight's soundtrack on its own label. As for Help, it wasn't supposed to be the Beatles' second movie. They were going to do a western where they all pursued a cattle baron's daughter, but that project evaporated and instead they made Help. Paul has said Help's screenplay was written to meet their requests to film in places like the Alps and the Bahamas where they'd never been. Since the Bahamas was a British territory, it was also attractive as a tax shelter for the group. Help wasn't the film's first title. When Capitol released Ticket to Ride, the first single, it was said to be from the movie Eight Arms to Hold You, a title the Beatles disliked and that didn't fit the storyline. Help of course turned out to be the perfect title. The Beatles weren't particularly happy with how Lester directed Help, but since then, it's been called an influence on the making of music videos. During production, Paul was working on a song he called Scrambled Eggs, driving Lester crazy by playing its melody over and over. By the time filming wrapped, Paul had finally sorted out the lyrics, And scrambled eggs had become yesterday. And that's it for today's podcast. Thanks for listening. We'll be back with another box office autopsy next week. In Hollywood for Screen Dollars, I'm Martin Grove.